Well, last week we uh, started a new series and uh, considering Jesus the wonderful counselor, especially in the area when it comes to our marriages. And and I know kind of if you were not here last week, uh, I would encourage you to go online and and, uh, just listen or watch last week's, um, you can watch the whole worship service, but the message part, because today is going to be kind of part two, tagging on to that. You won't feel lost if you weren't there, but uh, but I encourage you to go and uh, and look at that, because what we're looking at is, yes, we're looking at marriage, and people wonder why another marriage series, and I mean, I know some of you wives are just thinking, Lord, I hope he gets it this time, and uh, some of your husbands are thinking, Mark, just, man, just say it, I need you to say it, and, and that kind of thing. And uh, then there's those that have been through so many, they're thinking, oh, why, why are we doing another one? And, and then there's the single people that are thinking, oh, great, you know, here we got to sit through this for a month and, and this kind of thing. I, I really believe God has incredible words for each of us. And I want to remind you uh, just some things as we kind of, I kind of bridged them last week, but I think it's good to revisit. Number one is this, you may remember, we're going to be in Matthew 19 again, so if you want to turn there. But in, in one of the things it says is that Jesus healed them, and the word for heal there is actually where we get the word therapist. So we're looking at Jesus, the wonderful counselor. He is the therapist that uh, that we're going to be listening from and looking to through all of this. But uh, I want us to to be reminded as well just some things as we as we step into this. And one of the things <clears throat> I shared with you, I defined what a factory reset is. A factory reset is if you have an iPad or computer or electronic device <clears throat> and you just need to do a factory reset, get it back to where it's working properly, get the viruses off of it, get all the uh, software glitches you've had on that thing to get it back to factory reset. Jesus, who we're learning from in the midst of this about marriage, takes us all the way back to factory reset. He, uh, when he's confronted, he doesn't go back to Moses. He goes all the way back to creation to see what God intended. So what we're going to be looking back is this factory reset. And I think we live in a day where we need a marriage reset. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at uh, once again as we as we dig into this. The other thing that I want to remind you of is that it says Jesus created them male. I mean, God, the creator, created them male and female. And uh, why were we created? We talked about that last week. We were created for his great pleasure, for his glory. We're, we're even breathing. That's the reason we exist. And so what I really emphasize is that our identity is in our creator. He loves us. He accepts us. We are significant. We have purpose because of him, not because of your gender. That's not what your identity is, not because of your financial status, not because of how talented or good looking you are. This is not your identity. Your identity is in who God created you. That's where you find your love, acceptance, significance, and purpose right there in him. But man, isn't it amazing how we're looking for so many places to fulfill us? And this is one of the biggest curses that are on marriages today is to hear somebody say, well, he doesn't make me happy or she doesn't fulfill me. That wasn't what marriage was created for. The creator himself is the one where we get our identity. And 
I know we're thinking, well, Mark, we're broken units. We, we were just talking about that earlier. You know, I, I wake up in the morning, I realize I'm broken. I, I know that that's the case. But I do know this too. I know the reason that Jesus came was not to make me a good person. Jesus came to restore me into a right relationship and fellowship with my Heavenly Father because sin had broken that. And so now I'm back to where God created me to be in the first place. Do I still screw up sometimes? Do I still let that old flesh nature take over sometimes? Yeah, I sure do. And I give into it really quick. But that's not my identity anymore. I'm a child of God. And so I come back to that restoration knowing that God, what he intended originally, can be restored in us. Now, there was, there was some challenges that I gave you last week that I just want to reemphasize. It's like a pop quiz. Some of you are going to feel guilty because you didn't do it. And uh, so I, I just want to lay this out to you. The challenge, number one, was this. To remove the word impossible from your vocabulary. Now, that's hard. But to remove the word impossible, why is that? Because some people think, well, Mark, I didn't have a good example, or I've already had a failed marriage, or I've, uh, I just look at things, I don't understand marriage, I should never get married. It's impossible, it's impossible for me to have this. No, we're wiping that out. All things are possible. All things are possible through Christ. They're not going to be possible in your own strength, but all things are possible. We're removing the word impossible. Number two is I challenged you... <clears throat> If you're going to do a divorce or you're about to sign papers, I just ask that you give it a month uh, just, to, just to hear out these messages. I didn't, it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen, but I want you, I'm just asking you in that area. Now, <clears throat> I know somebody, uh, I, this, is, this is key for me to say to you, that uh, if you are in a, a position of harm or abuse, you need distance. Okay, uh, so don't don't stay in it saying, you know, this is what I've got to say because I, no, 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 you don't hear me saying that. I, but I'm saying let's give let's give it a chance. Let's just see what the Holy Spirit may say uh, in the midst of this to you. And then the third challenge that I had for you was to commit to pray together as a husband and wife other than at mealtime. I don't mean 30 minutes at a whack. I mean, just. Some of you, it's just going to be interesting to get started. But, but uh, I, I want to ask you, maybe it's at bedtime, maybe it's when you get up in the morning, whatever, other than mealtime, I want you to find the time just to pray together, okay? So we're going to be going in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 6 today, and we're going to be camping out in some areas. But uh, let, me, let me kind of give you a word picture before we open the Scriptures uh, I remember playing a card game. Well, it was a drawing game, actually, but it began with cards. And there was a card, and the first person, and then you'd have two teams, and uh, they'd have the card, and they would look on that card, and the first person had to draw what was on the card to the best of their ability. Then what they would do is they would hand it to the next person, and they had to draw off, off of what that person had drawn. And then the next person had to draw off what that person had drawn. And so it came all the way down, and at the end, the last person gets it, and they have to uh, announce what is on that drawing. So what started out as the standard or the picture got passed down and got written and uh, drawn in so many different ways 
that by the time it got to the end, what you weren't getting was the original, but you were getting a drawing of what somebody else kind of thought they could do on it. I believe this is a picture of marriage today. I believe that we live in a day where our government is confused on what marriage is. Most people are confused on marriage is because they no longer go back to the standard. They go by what they've seen passed down, right? And so we're totally confused in our day. So Jesus is confronted, and what does he do? He doesn't go to draw another picture. He goes all the way back to the beginning on what God said. And so we as Christ followers ought to be looking at what God intended for our marriages, okay? I'm not saying we're there, but I'm saying we got to at least see what God intended for this great thing called marriage. So Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 6 today, and then we're going to come back and just kind of unpack this a little bit. It says this in, in chapter 19, verse 1. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. That's that word uh, therapist, bring wholeness, basically. He healed them there. Verse 3, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And I said last week that that's the wrong question. The question shouldn't be, can I get a divorce? The question can be, God, can you heal what's been broken? But they're looking for the loophole to get out of their marriage here. And so they're testing Jesus. And then in verse 4 through verse 6, he says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let's spend a few minutes just seeing how Jesus is pushing us back to a definition of marriage that the Creator intended from the first place. I love, and keep your Bibles open, I want you to write in the margin, take notes, whatever is going to help you out here. But I love it that Jesus comes back on the Pharisees right from the very, very beginning. He says, haven't you read? See, these Pharisees are supposed to be the scholars of the Scripture, so he goes right back to them on what they should know in the first place. He says, haven't you read? Haven't you read? And then he says this, and this is a, a, a little, little, uh, uh, little history that he comes back on him he says that at the beginning the creator made them male and female so he created mankind male and female that's where we get our identity that's what he's saying right from the get-go and then in verse 5 he says for this reason now what does he say that well he's talked about creating male and female why did god create them he created them for his pleasure and his glory alone and then when we give him pleasure we give him glory then in return we receive pleasure out of that so that's what jesus is pointing to and he says for this reason a a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife for this reason what is this reason the reason is to give glory back to our creator marriage is a way of giving glory back to god is there pleasure in it for the male and female yeah But ultimately, it is to give glory back to the one who created us. 
So ultimately, it's really not about us. Even though we receive from it, it's all about him. And so he says, for this reason. And then what does he say? He says, a man will leave his father and his mother. Now, we're thinking, okay, there's that leave and cleave principle that we call it. So what does it mean for a a man to leave his father and mother? Because that word leave there actually in the original language is strong. It actually almost means forsake. So is Jesus saying that a man needs to turn his back on his own family? Now, let me give you a little bit of history, and I've shared part of this with you before. In, in Jewish culture, that you had the family. Family unit was very important. In fact, a father, when he had a son who was betrothed to a, a young lady, that what they were to do is the father would allow the son to build an extension onto the house and then go get his bride and bring her back. So what the scriptures are not talking about geographical distance. It's not talking about you are to go and, and to the other side of the world. He's not saying that. So the leaving is, is not geographical. In fact, you may remember in John 14, where Jesus is talking, he says, I have gone, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and where I am, you may be also, and I will come back and get you. Well, what he's referring to is a beautiful picture there about the heavenly Father. The Son is now returning, and he's building a room for us. Many people want to say mansions, but he's building a room for us, and he's going to come back and get us. Isn't that an incredible picture? That was the Jewish picture of the home. So it's not geographical distance. So what is the scriptures referring to here? So listen, hear me out just a moment. What literally the scriptures are saying is, is that God is establishing a new relationship dynamic that will take priority over all other relationships, including family. Let me read that again, that God is establishing a new relationship, this marriage between a male and a female, that God is establishing a new relationship dynamic that will take priority over all other relationships, including family. In other words, God has got something brand new that takes priority. The relationship between a husband and wife is greater than even that with the kids. I got a thought, and I'm going to put this on the screen. And I want you to hear it, and let me speak about it a moment. Don't put your kids or other family above your relationship with your spouse. Do not put your kids or other family above your relationship with your spouse. Let me tell you a great temptation in our culture, especially today. Young man and young woman fall in love. They get married. They start having kids. What happens instead of keeping their family based on the love of God, Christocentric, Jesus in the middle, they have these children, and the the temptation is, is to allow the whole home to revolve around the children. You are to lead, you are to, cult, uh, to, to develop a discipleship culture, you are to nurture, you are to take care of. Yes, that is what we're called to do. We're not called to worship. 
And so what happens is, is that we, we have a tendency to put the kids in the center of, of everything we do. Everything revolves around them. Then the kids all of a sudden graduate high school, go off to college to start their own lives. Then you've got a stranger who's known as a husband and a stranger who is a wife looking at each other and they don't even know each other anymore. And this is repeated time and time and time again. How many marriages, you know, we're just hanging on until the kids get out of the house? Because they become kid-centric instead of God-centric, and they've let another relationship become more important than the husband and wife relationship. That's not what God intended. He intended for that to be primary was the husband and wife. Now, we look at that, and that's a little twinge of guilt because we've all struggled with that, haven't we? But that's what God is saying here. This needs to happen. And here's the other thing. The family structure is the means by which God has chosen to carry out his purposes on the earth. It was the first institution established was the family. And so the family structure is his means by which he wants to carry out his purposes. So don't, I know you love your kids. I know you love them to death. But don't worship them. Let me tell you, husbands, let me tell you what you can do. You want to know the strongest thing you can do in your family unit for your kids? You love their mom with a reckless abandon. And what happened? I mean, you, you ever had your kids walk in, especially when they were little, and you were kind of smooching, catching a kiss, uh, you know, in the kitchen or whatever, and they walk, oh, gross. Yeah, gross. Let me tell you what they're really saying. They're saying, oh, gross, but their heart is swelling because they know our house is safe. And moms, let me tell you what you can do is you can show ultimate respect for their dad that lifts him up. Because what will happen is, is your kids will realize that there is something more important than them. It's a love of God in their home. It's a love of their mom and dad. And let me tell you, when they get ready to look for a mate, they're going to look for that themselves. So it's a temptation, and it's ruining our culture in a lot of ways. We've got to be careful. And then it says this, it says he will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. Notice it says his wife, it does not say wives. God intended for a male and female and there to be one. Now, I know somebody's going to come back on me and say, Mark, look at scripture. David had multiple wives. Uh, uh, Solomon, man, look at him. He had multiple wives. Let me tell you, it was, it was a curse for both of them. God did not intend that. Let me tell you what God, though, in his grace and mercy, sometimes he will allow your wrong decision because you made it. And how many of us have been trying to crawl out of some holes there? I'm grateful for his grace. But it was meant to be, hear me, a male and a female under the presence of God to come together for life. And it says to be united. Now, what does that word united mean? It means, he, you know, leave and cleave, to cleave together, to unite. It's another strong word, the vocabulary. The word unite literally means to superglue permanently together. It's that strong of a word. So in other words, you take male and female, you take the husband, you take the wife, they come together, 
there's this starting of a new unit that's more important than the previous unit of the husband and wife together, and they are super glued permanently together. That's what the scripture means there. This is what God intended from the beginning. But here's the deal, and you've got to hear this. God does the gluing, not man. He is the one that super glues. He's the gorilla glue, man, that brings it together. Let me, let me say one, one other thing, and I've got to hit this point. It says, be united to his wife. This is a sidebar. I go to a restaurant with my wife to eat, okay? They bring me a menu, and I look in that menu, and uh, what I do is I make my decision in that menu, and you know what I do? I close it and give it back to the waitress. I don't say, hey, I want to keep looking in the menu. I don't do that. I made my decision. I close it. I give it back to them. It's the same way in marriage. Close the menu. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? Men, it's time for us to close the menu. You've made your decision. Women, we've got to close the menu. And for a lot of us, Facebook is a way to close the menu instead of just gawking at high school sweethearts and this kind of thing. Close the menu. Okay? Once again, it's something in our day that is destroying marriages. Then it says this. It says the two will become one flesh. Now, that's a strong picture, and I want to try to help you understand it a little bit. He he is not just referring to the physical union. Physical union is part of that. Um, in fact, it's a, it's a threefold kind of union. It's it is a physical union. It's the there's nothing like the romantic love of a man and a woman coming together in a marriage situation. It, it's a total sharing of one another physically. That is what God intended in marriage, not before, not with someone else, but with your spouse. That's what God, His plan was and is. Physical union. But there's another union in this, and it's, a, it's what I call a soulish union. It's the, the will, the mind, and the emotions, that there is a union of the will, mind, and emotions to, so that you start moving together with common objectives and common purpose, that you're moving together. Actually, you start to think alike because of this oneness that God has brought in the will, mind, and emotions as you move together. And then there's a spiritual union. The melting and molding together of these incredible spirits that God has given us so that we are one in that particular area. So there's a physical oneness, there's a soulish oneness, and there's a spiritual oneness that comes in marriage. And we see this uh, in so many different ways in in uh, in in uh, weddings, uh, you know, there used to be the unity candle. The unity candle used to be a big deal, you know, that you have a family candle. One represented the bride's family, the other one the groom's family. And then there was a part in the wedding where they come up and they take the unity candle, put it together. New flame, right? The primary of the new unit. I mean, it's a beautiful biblical picture 
uh, that's right there. But when most weddings started to move outside, couldn't do that anymore. So you need to come up with something else that didn't blow the, you know, if your candle blows out, man, that's an omen. You don't want that happening uh, right there. And then, uh, and then I think it came out of one of those bachelor shows, the sand. And, you know, the sand, unity sand, you'd have uh, the base of, uh, which represent God and the foundation of the home and the groom would have bride and they pour the sand in there and you got to make sure that neck isn't too thin because it doesn't go down there very good and so you got to pour it in there. Great, creates this great design in there. It's a beautiful thing. I've done weddings where they've done the, the cord of three strands, you know, the braid so that, uh, shows, there's some beautiful pictures there. One, one that, uh, uh, I've used before, illustration I've used before did it at one wedding, was uh, chocolate milk. And uh, I think chocolate milk is a great illustration. You got, the, you got the, the chocolate syrup, you put in the glass of milk, you stir it up, and you've got it. Try to take that apart. It's not going to happen. I mean, it's a beautiful picture of oneness. But hear me just a few minutes. I, I, I want to be honest about um, as I've studied this, okay? So I want you to hear me just a moment. Um, I have studied this oneness, I have prayed over this thought, and I've asked deeper revelation from God, this oneness. I, I really want to try to understand it. But I've come to this conclusion, that one day God will fully reveal the depth of this oneness, but there is a mystery in it that is so deep that we must just walk in God's truth and not fully understand it. But I do know this, Satan will devote whatever force he can to destroy this oneness and mar the image of Christ. Maybe I don't fully understand it, but there's an enemy that understands it, it seems better than me, because he's going to do anything he can to destroy it. Marriage is under attack. Why? Because the oneness in the, in the husband and the wife is a picture of the oneness that God has with us through Jesus Christ. And if we cannot keep this covenant, who's to say God can keep the covenant? And the enemy does everything he can to mar it. Maybe I don't completely understand oneness. I don't know exactly what it means to be one with Pam, both in the physical and the soul and in the spirit. But I know it's there because God has said it's there. And I know the enemy hates it and he wants to destroy it. So I better take it pretty serious. And one day God will completely reveal it which will be a neat thing. So here's your next thought, and I want you to hear this. When you fight for your marriage, you fight for the glory of God. You're not just fighting so that you have good feelings in your marriage. You're not fighting just so that your kids see mom and dad exist. You're fighting for the glory of God. It's bigger than us. And then it says, has joined together. He, he has joined them together. Now what, now, what does that mean, he has joined together? It's, it's a beautiful word picture here. It's actually the picture of uh, the yoking together of two oxen. You've ever, some of you say, well, that's what marriage feels like sometimes. 
Mark. Um, marriage is hard sometimes. Let's be honest. But the picture here is the yoking together of two oxen. And you know sometimes the way they, they used to yoke oxen together, you would take a powerful oxen and you may yoke him to a younger one. It doesn't mean they're, they're of the same strength and the same physical ability. It doesn't mean that one's smarter than the other. It means that they're yoked together to move together for a common purpose. God has yoked husbands and wives together to move together to complete his objectives and his purposes that he has. Sometimes it's a real struggle when uh, when you start heading, you're yoked together and you want to go different directions. You've got to be careful of what the visions come in there. Um, you know, uh, Pam and I, many years ago, uh, we we laid some tile. We'd practice in the bathroom first because it was a small area and we did the little tiles. But then we decided to do the big living area and we're going to do the 16 by 16 uh, tiles, square tiles that are there. And uh, we, we learned something pretty quick that uh, we didn't have the, the laser ability or anything. We were just we were just putting in those little plat. You know what I'm talking about? The little, if you ever done a tile, and uh, but this is what if you do not get those things straight, you may start out with a little bit of wedge going, but by the time you get to the end of the room, it could be way separated. It started as just you know we just start go pulling apart instead of coming together and you got to constantly be pulling back pulling back that's what we had to do we got to make sure of pull back pull back pull back it's that way in marriage there's a temptation sometimes to to go he wants to go his direction she wants to go her direction and man what happens is a small little crack can become a big division and you got to pull it back in pull it back in we're yoked together god wants to create his purposes in us as we move together I, um, I've got, as I was praying through this this week, I, I, I had some God math that came into my mind. And so bear with me as I give you three equations out of my God math. Number one is this. One plus one plus one equals one. Not in God math. One God plus one male, one female creates oneness that's the way he created us i throw him because he is the one that creates the oneness it's a man and woman making covenant with a holy god that's where the oneness comes and i would venture to say that a hundred percent of the struggles in marriage come when we try to pull away from that oneness one plus one plus one equals one. Second equation. I is less than us. I is less than us. It means that I am willing to surrender my rights because us is bigger than I. I'm willing to submit. Paul said it to have mutual submission one towards another. But I is less than us. One last God math. We is greater than me. In marriage, we is greater than me. And I'm not shortchanging me. I'm not shortchanging what God has put inside of me. But if he has given me a spouse, he saw us together being used more 
than just me. And the we is greater than me. And then he says one other thing in the scripture here. He says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let no man put asunder is the old King James word. But God is the one who joins a man and a woman together. So don't tear apart this new creation he has established. And marriage is an earthly picture of the intimacy that God has established with his followers through Jesus. So let not man separate. And I, and I know in this message, some people are saying, Mark, what can I do? I'm, I'm, man, God set a high standard. He set a high bar there. Listen, if Pam and I had to do this on our own, there's no way. We have our struggle points. We have conflict. Don't put us up as the primo example of marriage. We love each other deeply. But if it wasn't for God, he is the one that creates this oneness that allows us, and his redemption through Jesus Christ allows me to have that restoration of the relationship with the Father so that I can begin to live out the way he intended I told you last week that nothing in this series is to create any, any guilt or shame. That is not for me. That, that would be from the enemy in this case. But I know some of you have, have failed and you're thinking, Mark, can God still redeem? Sure. That's why we take the word impossible out of the dictionary. All things are impossible. All things are possible with God. But you think, how do I respond today? And I was praying about that, and, and I, uh, I went back to my childhood, and uh, while well, I can still do it, and I was thinking about, thinking about when I was a child growing up in Waco, KCN TV, they used to have a little um, uh, uh, TV show that would happen, and in the TV show, sometimes the birthday groups could come and, and, uh, and groups could come. And the kids would sit over in an area called the Peanut Gallery. And, uh, and then there was a Zebo the Clown. And Zebo the Clown would be there. He had this cigar-looking thing that he would quack on, basically, is what would happen. And you would get to go, you know, and sit in the peanut gallery. And the birthday kid or whatever, what happened is Zebo was up there, and Zebo had this flip chart, okay? He had this chart that you would draw on. And he would come get the birthday kids that may be there, a couple of parties out of the peanut gallery. And they would come up there. And so what they would do is they would give the marker to the kid, and the kid would go up to the uh, screen, uh, to the flip chart, and draw something. Now, here's the whole deal. They were trying to trick Zebo. okay? So they would draw something on there, and if they just drew a circle, you know, he would turn it into a cat or a lion or something that really looked cool. And it's like, oh, man, Zebo's so good. And then you'd get some squirrely kid to come up and say, I'm really going to trick Zebo. And so they'd give him the marker, and he'd go up there, and he would scribble or something on there, thinking, I got Zebo. And Zebo would kind of contemplate, can he do it, can he not do it kind of thing, and kind of quacks on his little cigar-looking thing. And then he would come, and he would turn that squiggle into something beautiful. You know, there are certain days, maybe today, I just got to come give God my squiggles and say, Lord, you turn it into the masterpiece. 
sometimes marriage on certain days just feels like squiggles. We're just not making any traction. I'm not sure she likes me, and I really don't like her right now. But God, you've got something bigger for us than what my flesh is feeling. Would you take my squiggles like Zebo the Clown, turn it into a masterpiece, and he will do it. Maybe today we just need to repent, a spirit of repentance. God, we've, we want to give you our squiggles. I want you to bow your heads with me just a moment.